Yeah, let me open us in prayer before we get into today's message. Father God, I stand um, before you on behalf of, of this church um, in awe at your faithfulness and your generosity and your grace to us. And God, uh, alone I stand here as, as someone with nothing to give out of my own strengths, but Father, I just ask that through your spirit that you would use my words to, to bring light to your word, to bring life to your word, that you would give us open hearts, open minds, open ears to hear you challenging and encouraging us this morning through what John has written. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, if you are a guest with us for the first time, special welcome to you. Uh, my name is Joe. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm the only pastor that looks like this, so if you don't like me, you got to give us at least one more try after this. So, um, <clears throat> And we are in the fourth week of Advent, <clears throat> and which is crazy. I can't believe Christmas Eve is, is coming up so soon. And today, each, each week in Advent, we've been talking about a different word, and today we're going to be talking about the word love. And love is sort of a big deal at Christmas. I think when we think of love, we sort of think of Valentine's Day, but love is important at Christmas as well, too. I mean, if you've never seen a Hallmark Christmas movie, I mean, it's all about love. Do we have any Hallmark Christmas movie fans in here this morning? Would you raise your hand? Thank you. All right. Uh, if you've never seen a Hallmark Christmas movie, I'm going to explain every single one of them to you right now. Some big city lawyer goes back home for Christmas to her hometown, and uh, she meets this guy she went to high school with. He now owns a coffee shop, wears buffalo plaid, and has a golden retriever. <laughs> he teaches her the true meaning of Christmas, and they get married and fall in love for the rest of their life. That's every Hallmark Christmas movie ever, so you don't ever have to watch them again. Uh, so now you know. Uh, Love is a big deal. There might be couples getting engaged at Christmas time. Maybe today. I don't know. That'd be weird, right? <laughs> I just ruined it. You might have to wait a few days. You're going to be like, you're only doing this because the pastor said so. No, I'm a, he's a prophet. Uh, families get together at Christmas time and exchange gifts. Uh, friends get together, uh, exchange gifts with each other, with people they know and love. Uh, or maybe you've received a gift before where you're like, okay, I don't think this person loves me or likes me or knows me because I would never have picked this, right? Uh, at Christmas time, people especially look to show love charitably. Um, at this time, you know, you see the red buckets out in front of stores, the Salvation Army. People increase their giving at this time too uh, because there's something about this season that just says that love gives. And the reason is because you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And when you think about it, that's the Christmas story. This, the coming of Jesus into our world is the story of God's love for us. And there is a beautiful and powerful passage included in a letter written by John that I think has some incredibly important things for us to, to hear about this Christmas. And so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4 um, today. So if you have your Bible with you, that's where you want to turn. If you uh, want to use the YouVersion app, we'll also have the text for you on the screen as well, too. But we're going to talk about these 14 verses from verse 7 through verse 21. And in these 14 verses, the word love is used 28 times in 14 verses. And this specific use of the word love comes from the, has its root in the Greek word agape. And this love agape that John's writing about, it's not a selfish love. It's not a needy love. It's not a sensual love. It's not a worldly love. It's not an I love pizza 
love. It's not even I love Christmas love or I love, you know, Taylor Swift or Billie Eilish or a celebrity, whatever it is, because those types of loves, um, you love those things because of what they do for you. But agape is just the opposite. Agape is sacrificial, selfless, generous, other-centered, without demanding or expecting repayment. And as John writes in verses 7 through 8, he points us to the ultimate source of this love. He says this, that the source of love. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. He says, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. He closes it. He says, for God is love. For love comes from God. This is saying that that God is the source of love, that God is love. It's not just something God does. Love is is who he is. It is his essence. And so if you want to know what real love looks like, look at Jesus. Look at his life. Look how he treated people. And not just people he liked, people who were completely different, outcast people. And, and it says that, that, you know, he then addresses believers, Christians, followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, you, you know, this is who he's talking about. Um, he says, continue to love one another. And so he's assuming something here. He's assuming that those of us who experience God's love, they are already loving other people and should continue to do so. Well, why does John just assume that people who love God are loving other people? Because you, and here's the reason, you cannot understand the love that Jesus has given to you and then choose to hate someone else. It says, that John also wrote in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 12, he says this. It says that when a person comes into a relationship with God, they become God's child. And that experience gives us a kind of love that we would not be able to conjure up or create or maintain by our own strength. And so so John here in in the Enduring Word Bible Commentary says it so well. It says, again, John insists that there is something that is given to the believer, the Christian, when they are born of God. A love is imparted into their life that they did not have before. Christians are not just forgiven but they are born anew by God's spirit. So what John is saying here is that when you put your faith in Jesus, who he was, what he did on the cross, the reality that he came back to life, when you put your faith in him and you live your life in trust in Jesus, something happens. You're born anew. You're born again. It's a rebirth. You are created new. And God gives you a love for him and for other people that you could not conjure up or maintain by your own strength. You would not do this. So my question is, is that something you're experiencing? Now, you may be here for the first time. You may have been just coming for a couple weeks for a lot of different reasons. Maybe your family says, hey, you're home for college, you're going. You know, maybe somebody you think is cute comes here. A lot of different reasons you might come to the church. And you might just be checking this whole Jesus thing out. And that's amazing, awesome. We love you here. We want you to be here. This is a place for you to come and to wrestle through your doubts, to, to ask hard questions. But eventually, we hope that you'll start to understand that this Jesus, who he said he is, is true and that he's God and that you would put your faith in him. And when that happens, you will begin to have a love for Jesus 
and a love for others that you did not have before. And so if you would say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, grew up in a Christian home, like I've been a Christian all my life, but this is not something that you're experiencing, it may be time to ask some hard questions. And so is that something you're experiencing, or as a Christian, is this whole idea of Christmas and Jesus just another like nice, sentimental experience, and it doesn't really impact how you live? Because this is the selfless love that God puts in our hearts for other people when we have first received that love from God himself. And so my question is to you, to start today off, is, is that something you've received? Is that something you've experienced? Because it says that God is the source of love. And then the, then the next two verses, John moves from talking about God as being the source of love to how God demonstrated that love through sacrifice. It says this, John, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Pastor Charles Spurgeon, famous theologian, says, if there was to be reconciliation between God and man, man ought to have sent to God. The offender ought to be the first to apply for forgiveness. The weaker should apply to the greater for help. The poor man should ask of him who distributes alms. But herein is love that God sent. He was the first to send an embassy of peace. You see, we didn't collectively get together and say, all right, God, we're sorry. You know, we're sorry that as, you know, as humanity, we've all rebelled against you. No, we were still running away from God, sprinting away from God, wanting to be our own gods. What the Bible calls sin, right? We have all rejected God. And while we were doing that, God looked at us and said, I love them and was willing to show it. Because God's love is sacrificial. It's self-giving. God does not just say, I love you. Maybe you know people like that, right? They're very showy when it comes to words or cards, and they say, I love you. Every time you, know, you leave, they say, I love you. But when it comes time, when it comes down to displaying of, to helping out, to showing up, they seem to disappear. God's love does not do that. God does not just say he loves you. God shows he loves you by giving and by giving the very best. He gives his one and only son. And when God gives, it's not a white elephant gift. It's not a re-gift. You know, it's not fruitcake. God gives the greatest gift possible, the greatest gift of love. It's an ultimate sacrifice, something that costs him everything. God wasn't looking at what he could get by with. God wasn't like, okay, what do I have to give? No, he goes all the way and gives the ultimate gift of love. So my next question is, what would it look like for you and I to do the same? What would it look like for us to love Jesus back with that same sacrificial kind of love that he has given us? What would it look like for you and I to love someone else the way that God has loved us sacrificially and selflessly? Would it mean doing something for someone else that costs more than what we would typically do for ourselves or even people that we care about? Or could it mean not doing something that you're currently doing? Maybe you're doing something that, that works really well for you, but might be harming or hurting someone else. 
a friend, a family member, a neighbor, an employer? Would it mean instead of just spending money, which maybe you have, maybe you have you know, plenty of, giving time, which you consider very valuable? Because if I'm honest with you all, I'm very greedy when it comes to my time. Like, I'd rather give you 100 bucks than give you an hour. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, I'm, I'm very greedy with that. So maybe you're the same way. Maybe you're like, hey, I've got plenty of money, but I'm really busy, so I'd rather just give you some money and you leave me alone. What would it look like for you to be generous with your time and your resources? Because for some, giving of our time might be a greater sacrifice than even giving of money. So that's the sacrifice of God's love. Next, John talks about the sign of God's love. He says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another, love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Love is the sign that God is at work in our lives. And remember, it's not just intentions, it's not just feelings, it's not conditional. If you love me, then I'll love you back. If you love me, then I'll be generous in giving towards you. No, the sign of God's love, and the sign of God's love being alive in us is how we sacrificially and selflessly love each other. It's not about feelings. In the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, Lee interviews this guy named Dr. Lynn Anderson. And Lynn Anderson is telling this story about a husband who came to him one time as when Lee was a pastor, and the husband said, hey, I don't feel love for my wife anymore. And Lee said, well, go home and love her. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, go home and act loving towards her because your love is not always based upon feelings. And the guy says, well, that would be emotionally dishonest. And Lee said, let me ask you this. When you were a baby and you woke up at three in the morning and your mom had to get out of bed and put her feet on the cold, hard floor and heat you up a bottle and change your dirty diaper, do you think she got jazzed up about that? <laughs> and he said, well, no. And he said, did your mom love you? And he goes, yeah. He goes, well, I guess your mom was emotionally dishonest. <laughs> what he's saying is that our emotions are a great indicator, but they are a terrible leader. Just because you don't feel love for someone doesn't give you the excuse to not love that person. Love is an action. The sign of God's love the sign of God is alive in us is how when we sacrificially and selflessly love other people. How you treat other people is a litmus test for your relationship with Jesus. That's it. I go back to this verse all the time, but John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will produce much fruit. And so what is the fruit? Well, if you go to Galatians 5, Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit and the first one is love. And so what Jesus is saying is that when we are connected with him, when you have faith in Jesus and you are building a relationship, you are maintaining a relationship with him, love for other people will be a byproduct of that relationship. And so if you find yourself unloving towards other people, you may want to ask yourself some hard questions about your relationship with Jesus. Because our love is a sign is the sign to a world that is, that is wondering, is Jesus real? And if he is, does he even matter? It's easy to think that the sign of, of God at work in our lives or the sign of spiritual maturity is our church attendance, right? How much we serve, how much we give, or if we keep the religious rules, how many Bible verses we know, are you morally upright? 
You don't drink too much. You don't smoke. And when you cuss, you keep it in your brain like a good Christian. You don't say it out loud. Right? But does your Christian service, which is good, make those closest to you feel loved? Or does it just make you look religious? At the end of the day, the number one sign of God at work in our lives is how we're loving others. Maybe not just the people you like, but what about the people you don't like? You know, Jesus said to love your neighbors. And I've wondered about that question, or I've wondered about that so many times. Like, why does he say neighbors, right? And I kind of come to this conclusion. Like, I love everybody in Nebraska. Why? Because I don't know anybody in Nebraska. They don't cause me any problems. But my neighbor who lives right next to me does not mow his lawn as much as I think he should. And that just gets on my nerves, right? I'm kidding, I love my neighbor. But the closer people are to you, the closer they are in proximity, the more ability they have to just get on your nerves, right? And so the closer people are to you, sometimes the more difficult they are to love, right? What about your family? Let me ask you this, if you are married, maybe you're engaged or you have a boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, if you're married, how does your spouse, your fiance, your significant other, those closest to you, how do they feel loved by you? How do they, how do they experience, how do they experience God's love working in your life? So I want to make this real practical. If you're married, I don't want you to just walk out of here inspired. I want you to be able to do something. So we have an incredible marriage ministry at the chapel run by volunteers. And they have two events coming up that I think could be an amazing step for you to show your spouse that you are willing to sacrificially love them. The first one is this. It's a, it's a date night, a mystery dinner date night on Friday, February the 3rd. And then the second one is a marriage conference that's coming up in March. And the information for these and how to get registered is in your worship program. And there's more information available at the Welcome Center as well too. So this is a practical way that if you would ask yourself, man, is my wife or my husband really experiencing the love of Jesus through me? And you're not sure about that? Maybe this is a wise investment for you to take a next step to start showing them that they are important and that you love them. The same could be said in our other relationships. You know, how are your kids or your grandkids or your parents, students, feeling loved by you? How are your friends or your coworkers feeling loved by you? How are people who have different views different beliefs, different political positions, different lifestyles feeling loved by you. Because the true meaning, the true measure of maturity is not the image of power, popularity, or passionate feelings, but the abiding presence of God's love in our lives given out to others. That's a sign. The next is the security of God's love. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. My next question is this. Are you secure in God's love for you? Because if you are not secure in God's love, you will never make others feel secure in your love for them. If you live wondering and worrying if God really loves us, loves you, you're going to be unsettled at the core of who you are. And you're going to be looking for that in someone or something else. 
You're going to be putting the weight of that need on someone or something else. And if you're putting it on someone else, it's not fair to that person. Because they were never designed to handle the full weight of all of your need. But I'm here to tell you that you can feel safe and secure in God's love because of this. You didn't earn God's love, so you can't unearn it. You didn't get your stuff together and then God chose to love you. God loved you while you were still a complete mess. You didn't do anything to deserve it, so you can't do anything to undeserve it. And so when, when you understand that and you rest in that, knowing that God loves you, you will be able to live out his love for others, for your, to your spouse, your family, your coworkers, your friends, and they're going to feel secure in your love because you are secure in God's love. But we're gonna move on to the hard part, the sabotage of God's love. Next, John says this. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given this, this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. You see, our attitudes, our actions, and our words about others, especially other believers, other Christians, can sabotage God's love. John says loving God and hating someone else are incompatible. It doesn't matter what your reason is. He says that if we love God but we hate someone else, we are liars. And he takes it a step further and he says, if we can't love someone who we can see or touch or talk to or show kindness towards, how can we love God who we can't see? In God's eyes and in John's eyes, love for God and love for people are one and the same. They're inseparable. They are the same, they're two different sides of the same coin. I mean, think about how Jesus responded to the religious leaders of his day when they asked what the greatest commandment was. You see, the religious leaders were looking for a shortcut, a loophole. What was the one thing that they needed to do, the one commandment that they needed to follow that would sum up all the other commandments so that they could just be right with God, right? Because they were always looking to earn God's favor. And when they asked what was the greatest commandment, Jesus didn't give them the answer that they probably were expecting. Jesus gave them two answers that he considered to be the same. He answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were very good at religion. They were very good at, trying, at following rules that made them look like they were good with God, and yet they treated other people poorly. And so this is why when we don't love one another well, we could very well be sabotaging God's love in our lives and the lives of other people as well, too. So that's why there's no room for gossip. There's no room for judgmental comments. There's no place for diversiveness or divisiveness in the church. My question to you is this. Does your life make God look ugly? Now, if you're like me, you're listening to this message, and you're thinking of a whole bunch of people that need to hear it, right? Because when I was preparing this message, I was like, oh man, I can't wait till this person hears this and this person hears this. And God's like, God's like, Joe, you need to hear this. So I stand up here not as someone preaching this at you, but preaching this alongside of you. And so you may think of people who need to hear this, but I'm here to tell you that I need to hear it and you need to hear it. Why? 
Because if I can point to one thing that has made the Christian faith attractive and true, it's this, other Christians. Not not incredible leaders or incredible pastors, not a book or a sermon series or a podcast or a conference, not weeks at camp with students, not even mission trips, not even our Christmas Eve services. Ordinary, messed up, fellow human beings working out what it means to love God and to love others day in and day out without showy religion or fanfare. People who find themselves taken up in a reality of love that is bigger than themselves. People who realize that small acts of love carry a greater significance than social media posts, than rants, than judgmental comments about lifestyle or the way that I look or my tattoos or book recommendations or links to sermons or whatever. What makes Christianity, well, more specifically Christ real, are the people in my life who, has, who have received his love and then let it out for other people to experience. Because it's a gift, right? You know, this Christmas, we're probably going to be giving out gifts. And I actually have a gift I want to give to somebody. Um, see, you, right there in the North Face hoodie. Here you go. There, that's a gift. It's, a, it's an Amazon gift card. Just don't try to take that. It's an Amazon gift card. Now, did you do anything to earn that gift? You're not like coming to my house to clean my gutters or anything, no. You just happen to be sitting in that chair. Okay, that's what a gift is, right? You give a gift not because someone deserves it. If you gave a gift to somebody because they deserved it, that's not a gift, that's a wage. You don't want God to be a wage payer because his word says in the book of Romans that the wages of sin is eternal separation, is death. But God gave us the gift of his love, not because we deserved it. So therefore, we give the gifts of his love to other people, not because they deserve it. You know, truth be told, we're going to give some gifts to people that they may not deserve them, and we're probably going to get some gifts that we probably don't deserve. But because God is love and because God loves everyone, we too are called to love others the same way. So now, church, it's your turn to go out outside of these walls, and to give God's gift of love to everyone. Whether they deserve it, whether they don't deserve it, or whether they're completely ill-deserving of it. Because our love for other people is a direct reflection of God's love in us. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you did not give us what we deserve. God, so we stand on no ground whatsoever to give other people what they deserve. God, you gave us what we didn't deserve. You gave us love. You gave us grace. You gave us your son. That's Christmas. The word became flesh. God, you came and lived among us. You moved into our neighborhood, not because we deserved it, but because you loved us. So let us go out from outside of, the, outside of these walls, loving other people, Loving you, loving other people. Not just during the Christmas season, but through every season. Help us to be the church, to be the representative of your love and your light into a broken world. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody go out and love other people. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you at Christmas Eve. And could you guys give the Edison Show Choir one more thank you for being here today.